Hey, what's up, everybody? You're listening to Cannabis Karaoke, where we ask you to grab the mic and tell your story. Get inside info from today's most interesting cannabis pioneers, and from the first note to the end of the song, listen up as you get to hear the stories of success on Cannabis Karaoke. Welcome back to another episode of Cannabis Karaoke. I'm your host, Danny Keith, and you know, this is a, a, these are trying times right now. Um, you know, a lot of us are stuck inside or, or self-quarantining. And so my usual uh, daily activities are, have been cut off. I am now sitting in my house, have been sitting in my house for almost a week now. And I thought, why not start reaching out to some of these thought leaders, start talking to some people in the industry that I usually see face-to-face and able to either shake hands, give hugs, um, or at least go out and, and break bread together. Maybe we smoke a J. Doesn't really matter. And today, what uh, you know, on this podcast, we're going to be interviewing somebody who has been in the space for quite some time and has seen some bumps uh, in the space and has gone through a lot of things. But as we were talking right before we jump on this podcast, this is a different one. So today, we're going to be talking with Adelia Carrillo. She is the CMO of Event High. And Event High is a platform that allows the cannabis community to connect with people that are putting on events as well as people that want to go to events. And she's been doing a great job on social media. And I uh, just want to welcome you to the show, Adelia. Thank you for uh, giving me some time today. Of course. Thank you, Danny, for inviting me to, to come on in. <laughs> Absolutely. So before we get on the on the podcast, we had started kind of talking a little bit about how life has changed right now. Um, you know, this this COVID virus or coronavirus or pandemic or however you want to say it has kind of caught everybody by surprise. I think as Americans, we thought it wasn't going to happen to us. And, you know, now we're seeing the outfall of that from, you know, pacing on track with Italy. Uh, we're seeing bars and restaurants closing. And uh, you as an event producer and somebody or someone as a conduit to events being produced, I guess, are seeing some pretty interesting things. And, and I saw on social media yesterday that you had started talking about uh, the potential of doing virtual events. But but before we get into all of that, I really want to hear kind of what's going on in your world and, and what you're seeing happening and what's the tone in the space? How are people handling this stuff? Well, last week was definitely um, one of the hardest weeks, I would say, that we, we went through. It was definitely, it felt like we just kept getting punched over and over again. Um, as you mentioned, we are a, we're a ticketing platform uh, for the cannabis uh, events sector. And um, just hearing how every state was going into, you know, banning uh, community gatherings, limiting the amount of people at these events. Um, from 1,000 to 250 to 50 uh, to now even, I think I saw even 10 in, in certain areas, um, or not at all, you know. Um, so that was very hard um, to, to take in as a, as a team. Um, but then what started happening, too, was we're very close to our event host community, and we started getting calls and emails and messages and just hearing just the – you know, uh, the unsure of what they were going to do was was another thing Then we started to have to take in because um, many of these events help support families. Um, they, that's what puts food on their tables. Um, so on our end, as a company, we first needed to dial in our own feelings and, and thoughts and, and look at our own families and houses. And um, then what was good is that we found that 
all of our team members were in the consensus of, okay, what do we do as a company to move forward? Um, how do we keep event high up? How do we help the event host community? And as we were masterminding, of course, the first thing that we thought of was virtual events. How can we keep bringing people together um, now instead of offline to online? Um, for us at Event High, you know, that is our passion to bring people together offline to connect them through cannabis. So it was a, a, a bit of a, a curveball. Um, but that is where the direction of what we're thinking. We're, we're, we started researching the past few days on how to host virtual events, whether it's large scale conference type events to even more of like a workshop or somebody that just wants to host an hour session of maybe a ganja yoga class online. Um, so that's kind of where it is right now. Uh, what we're doing and what we're looking at, we're, we're reaching out to a couple different platforms to partner with uh, so that we can offer all different price points uh, for these event hosts um, to connect them with the right kind of platform so that they can go online. What is the, <clears throat> what is the response been to that? I mean, what are, when you're having discussions with some of these uh, companies that are trying to produce events and you're pretty rapid fire. I mean, I see no less than a half a dozen posts from you throughout the day on, you know, a certain event that you're helping to promote or, you know, and then the buzz is getting out there that you guys are the, the platform to be utilizing, you know, for ticketing. How, how are those conversations going along? What are people like, are people in denial? Are these brands thinking that, I mean, I just heard just while I was on break here, like August is when we're looking to like probably get back to normal. And they're talking like 45 to 60 day self-containment, um, requests. It just feels so weird. Like how are your, how are your business partners reacting to that? And what kind of conversations are you guys having? Well, so from the event host landscape, they are, you know, I think the smaller events, um, are, are now kind of looking at, you know, it's better, um, it's a better idea to postpone. Um, I've seen, and that's a great turnaround I've seen from a lot of event hosts. Instead of just fully canceling it just because they have invested a lot of time is rescheduling it to another date. Um, and they are looking more at these summer dates. I, I am confident more into May is when uh, things are going to start going back to as normal as can be. Uh, but I would even advise event hosts to look at, yeah, the summer events, uh, the fall events. I mean, the fall is going to be, um, it seems like things are going to be picking up because a lot of those festivals have moved to the fall. Um, with our team members, we are all working at, oh, well, today's my last day at the office, but everybody else is working at home and just trying to spend time with their family and kind of maneuver and also learn as much as they can on how do we transition to um, educating uh, event hosts to host virtual events. So it's an interesting time. I don't really feel there's denial, um, maybe in the beginning, uh, I think, and maybe it's more of now they're just understanding that they are putting their uh, attendees uh, potentially at risk, even if they have a small intimate gathering. So uh, the best thing is these attendees and these sponsors will be more appreciative and understanding if you do select a new date or say, Hey, let's discuss potentially moving this online. You know, <clears throat> before we kind of embarked on this pandemic and this, this interesting uh, time we're in, you know, people were starting to have event fatigue, right? Like people were starting to be like, oh my God, there's too many events and blah, blah, blah. And now I think people are going to come out after this and embrace all these events and be a little bit more appreciative. Is that kind of something you're hearing? Like, 
in speaking with the the companies that you just mentioned, are you having any interaction with any of the attendees? Are they contacting you, asking questions, uh, clarity? Like, what what's that side, if at all? With the attendees, it's a little bit. Um, again, what's what's really great to see is that they are actually understanding. They're they actually if you if we're on the conversations with these event hosts, they're thanking the event hosts. They're saying thank you for keeping us in mind through this situation, or we totally understand. Um, so that's what's really good to see on that end is is people are being open to this and realizing that this is a situation we haven't really kind of countered, uh, encountered in, in the in the U.S. or in general. Um, I think the bigger picture, you're right, after this, and I look at this from a broader scale, like I look at this global, I feel like the one thing that's going to come out of this situation is humans are going to start realizing we are all in this together. This is a world global epidemic or a pandemic that is happening, and I feel like maybe this situation will allow for all of us to look at us more as as, as a human like as humans as humanity instead of um what the way things were before the hustle and bustle i mean i think what i'm hearing you say is <clears throat> people are definitely going to appreciate the in-person connection again uh mm-hmm. you know one of the things that i literally have not left my house but twice in the last week i'm asthmatic and so i've had lung problems my whole life um i've collapsed a lung and so for me, when I started reading up on this in the very beginning last week, I started stocking up on food. I started like, you know, making plans not to go anywhere. I, I let, you know, my coworkers know that, hey, I'm probably just going to be stationary. And everybody was kind of like tilting their head, kind of like, what? What do you mean? Like, it's not that bad, is it? And now here we are, like not even a week later and people are you know, grocery stores are getting ransacked and, and things are starting to get a little bit crazy when you're talking about postponing these events, <clears throat> what kind of timeline do you look for on that? Has anybody started to to select those timelines? And then what kind of events, you know, you have such a broad spectrum of events. I'd like, I'd like you to speak a little bit to kind of all the different verticals or categories that you guys cover and, you know, what that means to have to actually try to postpone um, such a volume of events. Yeah, so uh, more of the the B2B events, we have seen uh, them reschedule, and they are pushing it out to, um, I think the first one, there's a couple in July, August, and the furthest one, I believe, was October. Um, So these are more, again, larger scale, 250 and plus, up to a couple thousand uh, attendees. Um, So it's definitely an interesting maneuver. Um, Another B2B event that we've been in discussions with, uh, theirs is about 500 attendees. They're looking at at actually now testing out virtual opportunities. So they are looking at hosting a virtual conference um, and their event is in the later of the year, but they're thinking no matter what, even when things get better around that time frame, they still want to potentially offer this virtual option because that's just more of an offering for sponsorships as well. You get to, and, and even attendees, you can have attendees from nationwide really, even and potentially globally, tune in to to learn and to see these brands or, or speakers um so there are some up up you know upsides to that um yeah what is uh who can you tell us who you've been talking to about virtual events or is that kind of under wraps um i don't think it's necessarily under wraps i would say um uh so i guess in regards hmm yeah, I don't know. Because <laughs> I know, companies- I know there's one that's being planned uh, by a group out of Florida. 
that okay. that has you know been thinking about doing a virtual event and i ironically it wasn't because of you know back this was back in august i was speaking to them and it wasn't necessarily because of any pandemic but it was exactly what you just said which is better return for the for the sponsor um more wide ranging and less geographically restricting for people and expense wise i mean let's face it you know, we all zigzag all over the place. I mean, I went out and did an event out in Florida and it cost me to just go out there and do a turn and burn panel um, was about two grand, you know, and I yeah. didn't even go out. I didn't entertain. I didn't do anything. And so virtual events, the, what could be born out of this and what I'm kind of trying to see if where you're leading, you know, your company on this is like, that doesn't just have to be for now. Like virtual events could come online and be the way that we do things going forward because mm -hmm. maybe someone in Idaho wants to come to an event, but they can't. And so therefore creating a virtual event, you don't run into layout issues. You don't run into not having enough booths. You don't, you don't run into categorically alienating anybody. Um, mm -hmm. I think you would be more profitable because you could lower your price and have more, more people and then more people depending on how you navigate that um you have more people getting more out of what they're participating and you could probably actually charge the consumer versus having to have a free event and be bearing all the cost on the sponsors so when you're thinking about these virtual events have how far down the path have you gotten as far as how to deliver those virtual events and mm -hmm. what they would look like like how would how would a a B2C event work or even a B2B? Like, mm -hmm. are you talking to, are you guys doing like, you know, Skype meetings? Like it would seem to me like a video component would be um, important, but not necessarily necessary. Yeah. So, well, you did touch on a big point. Um, you know, as we were masterminding about the ideas of what, what we could do and offer, um, we definitely saw that this, this offering of virtual events is not just a short term, um, you know, opportunity, not even opportunity, just an op, an option. It's not a short-term option. This is definitely something that can be utilized going forward. And we definitely see the benefit of that uh, for many of these event hosts. Um, now, when it comes to how far we've dove into it, uh, we started team and I have started creating documents of a variety of different steps on how to host a virtual event. Um, it could be, again, let's say it's a B2C, it's a yoga instructor. She wants to start doing an hour, basically ganja sesh, you know, yoga, um, and she can consume. And then while her attendees are streaming online, they can consume cannabis as well and follow her practice. A, that's needed right now. We all should be kind of tuning into a more mindfulness approach, especially with the way things are going. So that's an excellent option. Um, and how they would do that is there's a variety of different platforms. Um, you can do Zoom. You can go live stream. Um, there are bigger platforms out there as well that uh, can help guide you into this, that can offer great ways for sponsors to come in and brand certain areas of the uh, of this virtual event. Um, but then it also goes into, well, if you host it on Facebook, you may not necessarily be able to go into charging a ticket price. Um, so again, we're kind of putting at least up to five different platforms that we are going to be suggesting depending on how big the audience is you want to reach, what is the price point that you can afford when it comes to the actual software. And this is going to be a learning experience for us too at Event High. So we are going to be hands on uh, as we walk each of these event hosts to learn this process. Because again, 
this could be something that is a long-term offering down the road and we want to understand it completely. So we're going to be doing just as much as learning as everybody else, but um, we've definitely started the processes and documenting a variety of different ways and outlets. You know, for some reason, I just feel like what what keeps coming to mind is like the Sims game, right? Like you jump in (laughs) to an environment, you create your avatar, your profile, and then you kind of walk around the trade show. Do you, do you see the virtual events getting that detailed um, to where you're actually kind of in an electronic world and you're basically uh, you can create whatever avatar you want, obviously. And, you know, anonymity probably is not preferred, but do you see something to that level or how do you see um, people being able to kind of go in and, and check out different brands? Is it a clickable map? Like, have you guys gotten that far as far as like what you think the actual experience would be? So those are those, both those examples I have been demoed. Those are exactly what, where some of these events can go, uh, especially for those, these larger events. They do have the avatar like, uh, features where you could walk, essentially you're moving, you're walking towards this little booth and then you'd click it. And then let's say a screen would pop up and it could either be a live presentation. It could be a pre-recorded uh, presentation, um, or it could be like a product spotlight. Um, so there's a, there is so much that you could do and create within the content. I think the one thing though, that may be a learning curve is, um, is creating the content, you know? Uh, so it just depends. Will the, that's when the questions come into, does the event host work with the brand to create that content? Do they just tell them, Hey, this is what you're going to do. And the, that the brand then has to go and figure out how to do it for them. Like it's, so there are some things when you get to those larger scale, virtual events that will need to be discussed and detailed. Um, so the virtual, let's say larger scale events, this, I don't think this is something that could be done within like a week. Like those will take a lot more time, but more of these webinars, these workshops, these smaller, uh, these more intimate, um, kind of, uh, virtual events will be a little bit easier to start pushing out within the next few weeks. Uh, we tested out one today. Um, I'm a part of a group called Humboldt Grace, uh, which is kind of for like the legacy and uh, newcomers to connect online. And we did our first like online event. Uh, this was through Zoom. Um, and it was it was a pretty easy process. Um, but then again, it also goes into the production value. People, if people are going to be paying to see some of these events online, you need to make sure that your equipment is good. You need to make sure that the quality is good, your internet's strong. Um, Cause the last thing you want is to bring in a speaker and then it just keeps cutting out. No, so. for sure. I'm, <clears throat> I'm also kind of seeing, sorry, I'm kind of dazing off here. I'm thinking what happens, you know, every event has that vendor that pays, but then never shows up to set up their booth. <laughs> So do you, as I'm like the Sims character walking through the trade show, I'm going to look over and there's going to be this empty booth. Like when you were saying the quality of the production, you know, I, I would imagine that that the brand would want it to, you know, it's just like a sh- shitty booth. Like how many times have you walked by a booth? You're like, why did these people pay $10,000 to be here? And they've literally looked like they're a 1970s garage sale. Um, you know, I would imagine it would be up to each brand to really showcase and, kind of put their best foot forward, but then you're also going to have brands that pay that won't even show up, you know? Yeah. And so how do you, I, I think I really like this idea of the virtual event because I feel like 
for myself, right? Like I could go to so many more events if some of these were virtual or if they were virtual and physical, right? Like I, do you see yep. that component potentially happening where people that they're going to put these events online as well as let them be a physical attended event? Yeah, I definitely do. I mean, some people are already kind of testing it out themselves with their own events. They're going and doing Facebook lives while they're at their actual event, you know? Um, so I do see this. And then it just, again, goes back into how far in depth do they want to produce it? Do they want event? Do they want these brands to create content specifically for the online community? And then the attendees at the actual show will get a different, you know, maybe not a different content, but, but the in-person um, presentation or, or hear that keynote in person. Um, so I guess there just, there is, it goes, there's a kind of a rabbit hole when you look into this, but I do see it going into offering both down the road. Well, you almost have uh, to be like a video game company on top of a, an event, uh, that you're trying to host because in order to satisfy your point, you're going to have to have more cameras on stuff and, or a way that, or a way that people can interact. Cause like, you, <clears throat> we've gone to events where, I mean, how many times do you walk an aisle at an event and there's that uncomfortable component of like, you're walking by that person makes eye contact with you. Maybe you want to check out their stuff, but for whatever reason, you're just not vibing it. And you're like, just walk on by. Whereas like, I feel <laughs> if you were in a digital virtual event, you might be a little bit more open to check out things that you wouldn't check out in person. And if there was a way to, there's a lot of people standing around at events. Let's face it. I'd say, I would bet I would be willing to put money on the line to say 70% of the booths that get staffed have less traffic than they expected. And most of those people are just standing there doing nothing. So if you were able to connect the physical and the virtual component where somebody wanted to go check out some off brand that nobody else was checking out, you don't have that. Like there's nobody at the booth mentality. Like we're all herd based, right? So if you see, mm -hmm something happening at a booth, all of a sudden you're going to kind of waddle over there like a duck and be like, what's going on? I want to know what's going on over here. Am I missing something? And so when you see emptiness or people are avoiding that booth, or maybe it's just that person's the way they're dressed, or maybe they're imposing. I don't know. There's so many psychological things that go into effect when you're walking a trade show. But if you were able to go in and go, Oh, I want to check that out. And that person that's standing in that physical event could actually get could actually engage with that person in the virtual component, you might be able to double end your productivity and, and actually possibly make more sales than what you expected to begin with. Well, I think you bring up two points, uh, two really good discussion points. I mean, so when it comes to the booths, that, that is where it's, you know, that goes back to the brand. I think this day and age, we are looking for experiences, even when it comes to being at a booth. So that, that that goes back to the brand. They have to look at what they are creating. If they want to return, it can't just be the regular traditional, just, you know, get my table and have some flyers and I'll stand there. Um, it's going to be a lot harder to get the attention. So that for that point, in-person events, brands need to start getting creative no matter what. Um, but then your other point is, Yes, I, I agree with you. People are going to be more enough to clicking on that booth that they maybe would have walked past um, before. And they'll just be checking out stuff because now they can consume knowledge so quickly because it's at the, the seat, you know, they're at their house just clicking away. They're going to be able to check every booth. They're going to be able to do 10 times more than they could have when walking the floor. So, and then how do you, <clears throat> what kind of time frame do you put on that virtual event? Because, like, the reason. Some shows are like, you know, two days, one days, MJ biz is four days. 
is to give people enough time to kind of get around, to travel in, to travel out, to have meetings afterwards. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Usually when I go to a show, like 20% of my time is on the floor. The other 80% of the time I'm meeting with somebody at a coffee shop or in a room or in a suite or I don't even wake up because I went out that night and then later in the day I sync up with someone for a late lunch. And so do you feel like if you're able to marry the virtual component to the physical component that like a two-day event can be a 10-day event online and those people can still be contacted um, those brands can still have contact uh, take place, just not physically at the trade show. Yeah, I mean, even as you're saying that, I'm, I I can even envision, let's say let, they have that ver- the in-person conference and they start the virtual beforehand. So now it, it, it just becomes more of a strategic approach for these relationships. You could almost trigger people to go to the physical event if you start the virtual event a week before. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. They're going to have a lot of their answers, their questions answered. They're going to have, and then, so it is, it's like building that relationship before that event in a, in a not salesy way. And then they stop at that booth in person. And, um, when we can shake each other's hands, (laughs) Yeah, might be doing kid and we're going to be doing the kid and play kick, uh, hook up here for probably the next 60 to 90 days. It's weird not shaking hands. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm a, I'm a hugger and a shaker. Like, you know, I I shake hands and Mm -hmm. I hug people. Um, And it's been really weird to not do that. It becomes, you know, as I was growing up, you know, my dad always said, you shake a man's hand and you look him right in the eye, you know, and Mm. now we can't do that. And so we got to try to find a different way to, to salute one another. But, um, I feel that I'm a hugger. So like, I know when we see each other, we always hug, you know, and, and it's, uh, or, or smoking a J like now I've gone to the Tommy Chong methodology where I put it in between my fingers and I use my mouth like I'm doing a, a Hawaiian horn or something. And I, I don't put, I don't, I try not to expose myself. I, I really didn't realize how much I came into contact with people and how much stuff I actually touched in a given day when you start paying attention to it. And then, how much you actually touch your face. Like I I ended up like counting like I think 85 times in a day I touched my face and I touched like 200 different surfaces and I'm just like, I'm going to die, you know? (laughs) And so for those people that are germaphobes that sometimes avoid shows, I think the virtual, I mean, man, when I, when we're sitting here talking about it, I'm like super pumped on the idea. I don't think we'll ever need to go to a hundred percent virtual show, but man, how much more, productivity can get done when somebody can take a two hour break out of their day and attend a trade show online versus, you know, having to spend a ton of money and, you know, sometimes hours traveling to get to that location only then to be put into some kind of uncomfortable, you know, look, not everybody is outgoing, even in this space, even when you have a brand, even when you're the CEO of a company. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people get overwhelmed at trade shows or they do stupid shit at trade shows. And so this could be a way for people to have not only more productivity, but for more connection. I mean, because at at the end of the day, what you're trying to accomplish is connecting cannabis brands to cannabis consumers, whether it's a B2B event or a B2C event. And while I see these smaller events, you know, these yoga instruction stuff or workout or brand, you know, discussions. I I really truly think you may have hit on something here with this virtual event. 
Yeah, I think so. I hope so. You know, I think there's there's a variety of, of benefits again um, as we're discussing that that can really help benefit this with the engagement, the the opening it up, you know, uh, to more people, the saving costs, to even having affordable cost points because um, a lot of people, it, it's the cannabis industry. We are majority are in startup mode, so imagine if they didn't have to pay that two thousand dollars that you had, you know. If, uh, it's just a great way for people to be able to still do business if they don't have the funds at that time. And you could so. offer you could offer it in a B2C environment. You could offer, you know, points to those consumers that hey, you share this socially, you get credit towards the next event we have or and you start turning it into some user generated um, marketing where now these brands are benefiting off of instantaneous like recognition from these customers as they're coming through. And, you know, it also opens you up to instantaneous critique as well. So it's, yeah. um, you know, with everything comes the downside. How are you guys like putting together a structure to navigate the next 30 to 60 days? I mean, I would imagine a hundred percent of the events that you're working on have been canceled. Like how, how does that, what are you guys doing with this downtime? I know you're planning the virtual events. We've beat that thing to death because I'm excited about it. And, um, but how, what else are you doing? How are you consoling some of these people? How are you retaining them as clients? Like how, what triage mode is event high in under your guidance? So uh, we definitely had to refocus and look at everything that we had going on. Um, the one thing that is going to be coming out of this is, that we had a lot of projects that we kind of put on the side. Um, you know, we're a lean team, so when certain areas have to have our focus, we have to fully focus on those areas. Now that things are going to be a little bit more in transition, we can go back to some of these vital um, projects that really have to do with the foundation of Event High and, um, you know, our growth structure for the next few years so we can relook at all that and really start building and diving into getting detailed on some of those projects as a company um another way that what we're looking at is getting event hosts who are hosting events in the summer and the fall that's really what is going to be able to um that obviously the virtual events but that is also another way that will help um help us continue to move forward i mean it's definitely hitting us we're, we're a startup on top of that, um, you know, we were in discussions with with um, some investors, and you know, the, the conversations are changing. So um, we have to get lean and, and gritty and, and figure out, you know, the next uh, move that we're going to take. But the way that our team has been acting and coming together, I'm I'm highly confident that we're going to we we are moving forward and, and we will see the the light through all of this. Um, but the biggest thing is the way that it will happen is by working together, by bringing people together that are all being affected uh, by this. So everyone in the event landscape, we are reaching out to all of them, even if they're considered maybe not maybe a competitor or, or not necessarily a competitor, whatever it is, we're reaching out to them and saying, OK, how can we all do this and, and converse and work together to, to where we all can move forward. Um, so those are some of the, the ways that we're doing that right now. So internally relooking at things, getting more structure and, and filling the cracks that we may have avoided while we were, try, were trying to move forward uh, during 
startup life. Um, next is the events that are happening in the summer and the fall. We're working on that. We're helping event hosts sell sponsorships for their events too now um, as well. So we have a sales team that can do that. Um, and then also just reaching out to everyone in the event landscape to work together. So those three things. Do you feel, <clears throat> do you feel that, you know, the economic impact is going to be, we haven't even begun to measure, not just in cannabis, but globally, you know, I mean, restaurants are closing, bars are closing, the whole world's shutting down, um, mm -hmm. which has not happened in well over a hundred years. I mean, the back East see snow days and, you know, occasionally we have power outages up in California where you don't go to school for a day, but nothing to this level. I mean, this is so surreal and so different for everybody. When we come out of this on the back end, is there any thought around your guys' company? Um, I don't know how to phrase this, but you know, you got costs that you charge people to work together. Are you looking to abate some of those costs? Are you going to reduce those fees? Like, what is your financial component? Because you guys need to make money too. So it's like it's it's like we went to a hard stop. The merry-go-round stopped turning. Now we've got to start, you know, and when you start pushing a merry ground that's full of people, it, it takes like a couple rotations before it starts getting the momentum to get itself back on its feet. What are you guys thinking at all about how that will look? And if you can get these virtual events going, I would imagine that plugs a huge gap in your guys's financial prowess. But what about these physical events and how are you going to help? And even at the virtual ones, like, are you guys motivated to move around pricing or is that something that you haven't even just, just thought of or discussed or, or what's your guys's uh, take on that? Well, I mean, if you look at it already, um, we are actually cheaper than our competitors. So Eventbrite, our service fees, our processing fees are cheaper than them. So at the end of the day, like, I don't know if a lot of people recognize this, um, but we, we don't, we need the masses to be able to scale our company because we only make certain fees. Um, so there's really, at the end of the day, I don't know what other costs we don't, there's no other costs that we could really lower because we are already kind of lower, lower than what is out there. Um, so the one thing that we have to look at though, is, you know, if we are going to offer more things, what, what are those price points going to be, um, and making sure those are affordable but also um, being mindful of that, the time that our team is now putting into these new projects. Um, so it's an interesting time as a, as a company for sure. Um, and for us, it's, it's, it's just, again, trying to figure out how to keep onboarding events that are gonna be happening in the long run and looking at where these virtual events go. I mean, it's gonna be tough no matter what. Um, but we have looked at our runway and we have uh, we have a runway, thank goodness. Um, but we have to see again, if we don't do anything, we have a runway. So like that's the one thing. We looked at that. If we, you know, what if we couldn't onboard any events? What if we didn't do virtual? Like how long could we survive? And we have that plan. Uh, there's time there, so that's good. Um, and now it's just okay, now what can we do to add that if things don't go to normal, you know, over, months at a time. Uh, but we believe that they will. We believe things will start to kind of move uh, back to somewhat normal by, by May. Uh, wow, that's aggressive. You think by May? 
I feel like certain things. I feel like there will still be, it'll still be a, it's kind of like we'll be waking up at that point. You know, we'll all be kind of slowly emerging out of this um, maybe lockdown, depending on where we are, to be honest. Uh, So that's, I feel like there will be starting to be some points there. Um, Just knowing humans like I do, I think as slow as we are to go into this like realization of we've got a problem, it, it's going to be like by the point we get to the middle of once we've been kind of under some sort of limited social distancing, you know, kind of thought. I mean, I think we're also going to be looking at, you know, people being really slow to participate in physical events just because of the unknown. Now, unless things change, unless they come out with a vaccine and things get really aggressive and in, in kind of turning this down. I feel like it's going to be probably June or July before. And the only reason I say that is because I have a kid and they're telling me that that pretty much scrapped the rest of the school year. I mean, they just sent out an email today that said not coming back till middle of April, you know, and that and it was only they just announced school closures on Friday. So Hmm. I think it's, you know, I if I could give my two cents and I'd be loved to help with it any way possible is get those virtual events up and running and try to contain, you know, as much as you can on the physical events. But I would say people are going to be start being comfortable. Now, this is if everything goes appropriately, probably July, August. If we get aggressive, maybe May, maybe May, June. If we don't and it, we just totally turn into Italy or Spain, we could be looking at like September, October. So that's the hardest part. I mean, I know for me as, you know, being in a startup, the biggest gut punch for me is like, dude, we were just starting to get momentum, you know? Mm. And it's yeah. so, it's hard not to get depressed or disheartened. I mean, it's kind of why I jumped on, on these podcasts is because I needed some therapy <laughs> and I needed to talk mm-hmm. to people that were going through the similar stuff. How is the morale um, throughout the company right now? I think, so the morale has been, it's, you know, the first, the immediate responses were, I think we were all terrified. <laughs> and I still think that can, you know, those, those thoughts are, are, can still be there, but we all are banding together. Um, you know, we've been having calls, um, as much as we can, we've been communicating, we've been trying to find ways to, to get through this. And, and even too, I think the biggest thing that we're doing is just checking in with each other as humans, like forgetting about work for a minute and just saying like, how are you, you know, what, what is going on at home? Like, do you need anything? I know, Yes, we're a startup, so it's not like we can offer a, a lot of things, but just that checking in and reminding each other, like, we're all in this together and that standpoint is, is very valuable and, and key to these relationships that we have with our team members. Um, but it does, you know, we have to we have to be realistic, you know, looking at it, it could, as you're saying, you know, whether it's summer or the fall or even if, if the May part looks at it. We have to look at all aspects. So I just hope that on our end, um, we can also, we may have to, the thing is too, that, so let's look at more of where we are. We're a startup. We were raising capital. We were trying to close our seed round. That obviously changed in that landscape. And so now that our team has a little bit more time, that gives our the, our founder, Ali, the time to go and uh, start building more strategic relationships with some of these investors, but we also have to look at it from the realistic standpoint. What if they don't want to invest in the event industry? How, you know, right now there's no, there's not a good sign. So 
we have to be lean and really figure this out. <laughs> that's that's where it comes down to. The company that where we are, this this definitely affected us, and it was a, a wake up call into what do we do when in person events get affected. I don't think we ever thought like yeah, and virtual events are <clears throat> virtual events are going to be just as expensive to produce. I mean, they're, they're, the cost savings are are not necessarily borne by the event producer. It's usually the person that's traveling that's going to save the money and the brands that are going to save the money. But the person putting on that virtual event is still going to have a venue that they're going to have to rent, if you will. And they're still going to have to do certain things that are traditional. Um, I hope, well, I can bet that the brands, you know, if this opportunity is presented to them, um, would be very receptive because there really isn't anything else going on. And so they may not have, as much money to put forth um, into sponsoring an event or participating in the event, but I'm sure you guys will find, or whoever you work with will find a way to facilitate that. And of course, as always, if there's anything that I can help with, you know, I've always been an open door for you and an open book of whatever connections I have, if you don't already have them um, down to help. I think that's the, the overarching theme, you know, that comes out of situations like this, which is like people sticking together and trying to help one another out. Yeah, very true. Well, and that's the one thing too. So it, it, it is costly to even host a virtual event. And one of our biggest things is as we're reaching out to some of these uh, companies that we may partner with, we are asking them to look at offering, uh, basically offering discounted rates, <laughs> you know, offering a more affordable rate that we can offer to the cannabis, um, the cannabis event sector. Uh, we've had two of them who've been very open to that and have drastically cut down their costs. Um, we're also looking at a variety of ways on our end to what we can do uh, to where um, we might be able to, to offer it in a, in a, in a lot more um, affordable manner as well. So um, it, this is definitely just a, another huge kind of hurdle to overcome. Um, we're going to be learning just as much as everybody else. But again, it's just uh, trying to think it through and think it through clearly and just keep the communication open with our audience, uh, whether they're brands, event hosts, or even event goers. So smart. You're, you're very smart. You know, sometimes smart people hit walls and they give up and then sometimes they just try to climb over or around it. And you've always been one that's, uh, participated in the ladder. You usually nothing gets in your way. You're, you're a very persistent person. And, um, I've been stoked to, to be your friend over these last couple of years and watch you grow and pivot. And, you know, I've hoped that we've, you know, that I've helped you out where I can and um, love love the fact that you're willing to get on and talk about these hard things. Um, it's really important for the industry to hear. And so as we wrap this up, I want to go ahead and give you a chance to, you know, give shout outs or and um, why don't you list off your website and your social properties and, and you know, kind of how to get a hold of you. Yeah, well. I want to uh, first thank you, Danny, again, for always being a friend and even just inviting me on here to discuss it. Uh, this is also like a little therapy on my end, too, because, uh, you know, we're in the grunt work of doing this all. So getting to speak uh, authentically, I guess you could say, definitely helps me as, a, as an individual. <laughs> um, uh, and then shout outs. I just I want to shout out our team. You know, we we couldn't be moving forward uh, without them. Uh, I want to thank the event community who is 
open to looking at other opportunities uh, and working together through this um, so that we can all keep moving forward in some sort of manner. Um, and then for those who are interested in learning more about Event High and what we do, um, you can go to www.eventhigh.io and the high is like a H-I, so hi, hello. Um, or you can find us on Instagram at eventhigh.io. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to this edition of Cannabis Karaoke, another kick-ass podcast about all things cannabis. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and our website, CannabisKaraoke.tv. And if you or someone you know would like to be on the show, please hit the book your interview button on the right. Cannabis Karaoke, grab the mic and tell your story. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. How do cannabis CEOs balance growth and optimization strategies? What is THCO, Delta 10, and CBNA, and why should you care about these minor cannabinoids? And why isn't the endocannabinoid system covered in medical school? Most people think they're up to date in trends in the cannabis industry, but they're about six weeks behind. Learn about what is truly next in the cannabis space by joining myself, Brian Fields, and Kellen Finney every week on the Dime Podcast and, of course, on PodConnects.